Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Cole, and I will be your host for today's podcast. I am the founder and CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting, a company that is focused on building out effective security roadmaps that actually work to protect an organization. In today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Mariana Pereira, director at Darktrace. Today, we're going to talk about email implementation and why organizations now more than ever need to start using it correctly. Thank you for joining me today, Mariana. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we jump into the questions, could you let us know a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started in cybersecurity? Surely. I, um, I'm a non-traditional background, so I worked for many years in marketing. I worked in technology marketing as well as consumer products. And a um, large part of marketing really is um, about communications and storytelling. And what was very interesting was how just this background um, actually, a couple of projects that I was working in the last few years about email marketing and digital marketing just exposed me so much more to the cyber world. And so now in this position of director of email products at Darktrace, um, it's, it's interesting how those experiences have all come together. And I'm looking at email technologies and collaboration technologies, but from a cyber defensive side rather than sending out those unmissable um, offers and promotions. And I love that background because one thing I find with cybersecurity people is they're sometimes too technical and they don't understand what customers are really looking for. So it sounds like with your background, you have a real good pulse on what customers want and the challenges they face. Yeah, I like to think that you know my priority and my, uh, my view, my outlook is business-oriented. And I've had to learn a lot about cybersecurity in the years here. And it keeps changing. And so it is very fascinating to see, um, you know, what the other side is doing. You have to have a healthy respect for the attacker side because they are constantly innovating. And the pace of innovation also on the defense side historically felt like we were always a little bit behind. But I think we've seen huge strides, especially in these applications of AI for cyber defense. Now, that's a great point you bring up where people often say that the offense has the advantage and the defense is behind. Do you think that's really the case or do you just think that's the perception of stories are only covered when there's breaches, not when there's successes? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Certainly there is a perception bias towards the negative stories. Um, but in a way, it's, it's actually been very good to have those stories because it has shone a light on the complexity of the challenge. And I think cybersecurity historically was left to the IT team. It was something that business leaders weren't really thinking of as part of the critical nature of their business operations. It is absolutely a board level issue. It is an issue that isn't reserved to CIOs and CISOs, but also the CFOs, chief innovation officers. It really goes across the entire company. And the perception I think of the attackers are always winning. It's just, there's a certain element of frustration in this that we think, how have we still not resolved? Uh, and it feels like it's the same pain points over and over again, right? We hear of somebody who got hacked with ransomware, again, an email that was a spoofed attack and someone fell for it, again. 
And the reason why we're seeing the again is the technology that they're using changes. They're over, they're bypassing our defense systems because our defense systems are looking at the history. So they're coming up with new attacks that get through. But ultimately for the humans, we live the attacks and we care that our businesses are being attacked, not really what signature or what variant of ransomware we're having to deal with this time. And I agree, and you're spot on that the threats are always changing. They're never going to be the same. And we're always going to have attackers no matter what we do. And I think when we look back over the last 12 months, we can say it's been anything but interesting, unusual, unprecedented. But what are sort of the biggest threats you're seeing to organizations today? So from a tactical side and from a threat side, I think um, we're seeing a movement away from CEO fraud And attackers are concentrating more on supply chain, impersonation attacks. We've seen, of course, SolarWind as a hugely successful, from an attacker point of view, supply chain attack. And it is the case that the supply chain is the Achilles heels for many organizations. So that priority or the consideration of priority of securing your supply chain is definitely coming up. So this is one of the biggest threats, I think, that we're going to be contending with this year and ensuring that the information that you're making your decisions on, right? We think of supply chains often, we think of physical goods, but actually the information supply chain is critical. Where is the information coming from and can you trust the nature and the trust the origin of that information to then make business critical decisions? And that's the... Uh, impersonation attacks, if you will, that are really leveraging that trust element. And we're moving away from the fear and the spoofing towards this other aspect of the human um, emotion. And I know a lot of times when people think of supply chain or these large data breach attacks, they often think of servers being attacked and missing patches and configuration management. But especially with a lot of people working from home, the individual is targeted a lot more. So where does email fit into this threat landscape? Oh, certainly. Uh, Humans are a hell of a lot easier to hack than uh, well-defended digital firewall or server. And I think we've seen and we will continue to see that the days of trying to brute force our way through, we'll leave them mostly up to the imaginations of Hollywood. Not to say that they've gone, but certainly I agree with you that the email is the front door into the organization. And that front door is often managed by humans and humans are fallible. I personally have a love-hate relationship with my inbox. I think most of us do. Our security teams have a love-hate relationship with email. And I think for two very different reasons, right? We as workers are using it as the main channel with which we communicate and collaborate with our coworkers, our suppliers, our clients, our partners. But for the IT side, and for a lot of teams that have set up these wonderful collaboration environments, these cloud systems that can allow multiple people to work on the same documents at the same time, that takes a lot of effort. And it takes effort also to make that deployment safe um, with the right policies. So there's quite a lot of management that needs to happen there. And as so often happens, then the users don't go there to work. They simply send the document by email, right? I receive drafts of things and it's like hey can you have a revision have a look at this what do you think and so the systems that we're setting up don't always reflect how people communicate and how they work and what we're finding is that more and more of critical business is happening through email 
So if it was already a way in, it's now just a very valuable way in. If we just think back to the solar wind hack, actually, we have absolutely no idea what the range of potential harm might have been caused simply by people being able to read uh, an, another person's inbox. No other action is taken, no data is exfiltrated, there's no movement, but simply the act of having access to that person's inbox is hugely valuable. So many organizations are struggling with that. Um, how do we allow workers to do work and to work in the way that is natural and efficient, but also safe? No, and I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm laughing because just yesterday, I received an email from a CEO of a company saying, I can't figure out how to use our secure Dropbox solution. So I'm just going to attach the documents, which were very, very sensitive documents, to an email to make it easy for you. And I'm just sort of scratching my head saying, is this still happening in 2021? It just seems uh, crazy and bizarre. But but I know a lot of security folks and CISOs that I work with, they say, but, but Eric, securing email is just simple, just block attachments, block embedded links, and all the problems go away. And I, I know you're probably smiling and it's not that simple. Uh, what are those struggles that organizations have beyond? Why, why can't we just block attachments, block embedded links, and be done with the problem? I mean, I think a lot of people will, will everyone's probably shouting out, listening to this podcast, thinking like, oh my God, no, because it would be such a crippling move to allow business continuity or better, it would not allow for business continuity, right? Like you said yesterday, you got that. If somebody is struggling with the tools that they have, they will get creative and they will find a way to solve the problem because they need to work. They need to collaborate. So we, it's absolutely un, unimaginable to me that we would stop people from working like humans um, and ask them to work in a different way. So first there's that aspect that I just simply don't believe that it would be sustainable. And then workers would be frustrated and it's not a pleasant environment to work with. So we need to ask more of our IT, more of our security team to enable technologies that keep us safe while doing human-friendly work or working in a human-friendly way. And I think that this is where then AI changes the balance of power between the innovation of the attackers and the defense, because going back to why do they keep getting through, a lot of the industry, a lot of the security tools are still backwards looking. They depend on having seen an attack before or an attachment that contains a piece of something bad or a link that points to somewhere that is defined as bad. And then they can stop that from happening again in the future. But then how do we deal with anything that is new? Well, we don't want to block it and we don't want to indiscriminately let everything through because that's exactly how the attackers are doing this, right? They're simply creating something new, a new website, a new domain, a new piece of ransomware and sending it in. And if the technology, if the defense is only looking at the history, it doesn't know to adapt and it doesn't know what's going to come next. So what I propose and what we propose at Darktrace is AI that can understand the context of a business and the context of a human, of a worker in that business, and then make a decision, not if an email is good or bad, but ask, does this email belong? And that's a hugely powerful shift in mentality, but it's an important one to make. And I know a lot of people that work in security for a long time, when they hear AI or artificial intelligence, that they sometimes roll their eyes because a lot of companies over the last 
10 years sort of use it as marketing hype of, hey, we have AI and then it really doesn't do anything different. How at Darktrace are you actually doing things differently and really embedding AI into the solution? So Darktrace has always been an AI company. And for seven years, we have been developing an AI that is able to learn on itself by itself, right? So this this is a hugely important element and it's the difference between different approaches of AI where you have what's known as supervised machine learning and AI in which we are instructing the machine, this is good, this is bad, this is this, and labeling and classifying. Unsupervised AI is AI that is simply exposed to data and it sorts out what's normal and what isn't normal. It's adapting over the life cycle of a company. It can adapt when there are fundamental changes to, for instance, the way we work when we went into lockdown. And this is an AI that is able to also understand when an attack is brand new or never seen before, because it's based on the on the idea that it's looking for anomalies. So we are understanding what the normal is to be able to then find the anomaly. And then we're able to do additional AI on top of that to do things like uh, autonomously stop the anomaly from continuing, right? So it's enforcing the normal behavior, the normal pattern of life of a company, allowing the normal stuff to happen, but buying time for the security team to intervene and look at what is unusual and what is abnormal. And then we are letting humans do what humans do best, which is making that judgment call, deciding, okay, well, this actually is unusual because it's new, but it's totally legitimate and it's part of what we want them to be doing, or this is unusual. And I'm really glad the AI's already stopped this because now I can intervene and work with that person and educate them and explain them that what they're doing actually represents a risk to the company. And I know a lot of organizations I work with tend to falsely believe that when it comes to email threats and the threat landscape, that it's really just phishing attacks. But could you give us an example of some of the other email threats that are happening in 2021 that the AI solution can help protect against? Certainly. So, you know, you touch on phishing and then we have whaling, which is simply phishing for larger targets, right? And there's spear phishing. And there are many analogies made um, on the way to catch the victim or the recipient. But ultimately, any email or any email attack, I say, it's about trying to get someone to do something for you. And that could be clicking on a link that then leads them to a website to download some malware. It could be that just by opening that picture attachment, you're giving some kind of insights to the attackers. It has also been the case, Eric, that we've seen email attacks that don't contain links or attachments and are simply requests saying, hey, I'm in this urgent situation. Please, can you make this wire payment for me? And these emails can be extraordinarily effective when they are targeting the right person and they are convincing um, and they make sense for the recipient. So these are very, very dangerous requests that are most cases, um, the result of months of research and of campaigns that have been carefully constructed against specific targets, they will credibly impersonate a C-level executive or somebody who 
the recipient is likely to respond with urgency and forget maybe about the policies and the common sense practice. I actually shouldn't have said common sense. The policies that are in place, because of course, common sense dictates that we want to be helpful and we want to help each other out. And if something is urgent, I should probably get to it. But that's exactly the the human emotions that are being pried on. So even if it's not a phishing attack because you're not trying to get them to click on something, you're still trying to get an out uh, an outcome that probably that person shouldn't be doing. The other thing that we're seeing is a lot of impersonation emails. So impersonation can happen in, I'd say, two general ways. Either it's a spoofing attack, so an attacker will go out of their way to make a domain or a landing page, or they'll make something look like something legitimate. Um, so we've seen this with brands, right? Fake alerts saying, hey, I'm this delivery company and I'm, I have a parcel, click here for an update, or click here to put in your newest information for Netflix or whatever online subscription you're using. We see a lot of that. We're also seeing a lot of impersonation emails that target individuals. We saw this with the Twitter attack last year where the identity was leveraged of important people to make requests of of, uh, donations and soliciting Bitcoin donations, but actually it wasn't the person behind uh, behind the account. So this is the second type of impersonation attacks rather than make it look like someone else is to actually steal the credentials, steal the identity, steal that verified identity or account, and then operate under the premise that you are them. This is very difficult for technology that just looks to match identity to verify, but for AI that looks at how users behave and can understand what the normal behavior is, that's not fooled. And we've seen this type of attack also across Darktrace customers where either a supplier or a partner, their accounts had been compromised, a phishing email would have been sent in or a fake invoice was sent in. But because it didn't behave, it didn't feel like the original person, the AI is able to sort of pick out on that and say to the human recipients, hey, actually, this doesn't look right, exactly because it knows the context. Those are, those are some great examples. And as in many industries, when an organization like Darktrace is successful with utilizing AI, many other vendors sort of follow and are now offering AI solutions. So what should decision makers look out for in determining or differentiating one AI system from another? So first of all, I would say that it has to deliver value immediately or as close to immediately as possible. Many other vendors that promise AI do this after a lot of training and a lot of what is essentially a very painful deployment process. So you want to find a plug and play, an AI that learns by itself. You don't need for the security team to be coming in and instructing it. It will learn on the job and it will continue to learn over time. The second thing is you you really want, I mean, of course, I would say just try dark trace, um, but challenge the vendors and put the put the AI up for a test in the real world because it's great to see it in a lab and in demos you know demos are artificial constructs the real world is messy so take your technology provider out for a spin in the new world much like you would do if you were test driving a car 
And if you were test driving a self-driving car, this is where you want to really challenge the AI and make sure that during your test, it is making the decisions that you are comfortable uh, comfortable with. And that also allows you to build confidence in the AI and to see that it's actually responding in the way that you would want it to respond. Lastly, I'd say also stay away from anything that seems too complex or technical, right? Like exactly as you said, we've heard about the promise of AI for so many years and by so many vendors. It's very simple. I think you want to find something that just can work and can allow you to understand as a business leader to interpret what the cybersecurity risk means in terms of a business operation while also giving the tech team and the developers and the security experts all of the tools that they need to be able to do things like looking back over logs, um, understanding source IPs, all of those things. So you need 100% visibility and you need to be able to operate with that visibility. That's some great feedback. And as we start to wrap up this EM360 podcast, can you provide a case study that illustrates what we've discussed today? Certainly. The Formula One McLaren team is, we're in a partnership with Darktrace. And I think that it's one of those partnerships that is very powerful for both brands. Also, because for from a cybersecurity point of view, if we think about a race weekend, split second decisions, not only on the track, but also off the track can make all the difference between winning and losing. And what happened during the Imola Grand Prix was that one of their C-level um, C executives received a DocuSign or, a doc, or an email that pretended to be a DocuSign with a fake invoice. And this was allowed through. This was allowed through by the other security tools that they had in place. But the Antigena, Antigena email actually was able to understand that this was not the real DocuSign. It was a very, very good impersonation of the brand. But there was something anomalous with it. And so first, in a first moment, decided, okay, let's just lock the link. But in those split second decisions that the AI can operate with, it actually did a bit of analysis to see, actually, this makes no sense. And it held the email back altogether. So this C-level was actually protected because they never even saw this thing hitting their inbox. They didn't even have to waste the split seconds for them to decide whether or not they wanted to click on it. But that's the power of how granular really and how important it is to have an AI that can make those very fast machine speed decisions because the attackers are also moving at machine speeds. And given the context that this happened during a Grand Prix weekend, speed is everything, especially for an F1 team. That is a great example because that's one you wouldn't necessarily think of a racing team as being a target, but that would be a huge target. And based on, like you said, the split second decisions, they could easily have made the wrong decision. So Marianne, I just want to thank you for all your great insights today. And as we finish up, what's any final words or advice you would give to companies in protecting and securing their email infrastructure? I think, th think of it in terms of the humans. It's all about the workers, right? We hear it so many times that the business is a, the collection of the people who work there. And often we think of security as being you know, the thing we need to do to secure this application, that application, or these environments. And humans don't work like that. The attackers don't work like that. We need to break away from these silos and the siloed way in which we're thinking of keeping the different parts secure and looking at the whole picture. 
looking at a, an AI that can understand the full picture, the full richness of the business, of the full richness of the interactions between the people, but also the devices that make up that business and the network as it extends beyond the physical network, but also into all of those applications, cloud environments, factory floors, that whole picture. Those are some great insights. And thank you again, Mariana, for your time today. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, there is a Q&A article on the deployment element of our discussion on the EM360 website. And for further information on Darktrace, make sure you head over to darktrace.com.